Welcome to episode 12 of the Frenchie Plays Games podcast, where the games are real and conventions are back. Hey friends and gamers, welcome to Frenchie Plays Games and glad you could join me via ears or via eyes. Yes, that means either audio or video. So if you're listening on podcasts, thank you. And if you're watching me uh, on YouTube, thank you. And if you're watching me or listening to me on other mediums, thank you. And if you're putting up for me or with me, thank you. Anyway, so uh, just coming out with a quick podcast, a quick episode here, because I'm getting ready to head to Dice Tower West, uh, probably about 24 hours, getting ready to get to the airport and head out. But I want to talk to you a little bit about a couple of things, and really the the highlight uh, coming from the convention that I just attended this past weekend here in Colorado called Genghis Khan. Uh, Genghis Khan has been a uh, con that's been running for quite a while here in Colorado in a city of Aurora just outside of Denver. Greater Denver metro area, and uh, was the first con that I attended when I arrived in Colorado here in 2020, and uh, so it is back. Obviously, it took out, uh, was taken out by by COVID, and then actually this was supposed to be the second con this year. Hexacon was supposed to be scheduled, that got taken out by Omicron, as did Frenchie get taken out by Omicron as well. But it's exciting to see that we are coming back, and people are excited to start playing again. And so I want to take a few minutes to kind of go over the convention with you a little bit. What Frenchie experienced, and to me, it was great in its own right, but also served for a teaser for uh, the big convention coming up. That I'm really just shifting gears in 36 hours here between one con to another. But let's talk a little bit about Genghis Khan. So Genghis Khan uh, is a local convention, probably about 500 people. I don't know the official number, but if I had to guess, probably about 500 people. That has been hosted just outside of Denver, Colorado for a number of years. And uh, so a lot of it is focused mostly on RPGs, but there is a pretty decent uh, board game open hall that they have in Foster with board games. Uh, And then there's also a large miniature contingent as well. So something I guess you could say a little bit of something for everybody. And so this is held at the Hyatt Regency Aurora Denver, uh, there in Aurora. And uh, we end up having the uh, whole bottom convention area with all the different conference rooms and anything. We take that up. So if you walk in, what you'll see is you'll see, and I'll put up some pictures here alongside if you're watching video, you're going to see a little bit of uh, different rooms. So the first thing you'll see, obviously, is the registration desk. And right behind that, you'll have the exhibit hall, most of it geared towards RPG miniature some miniature gaming about three exhibitors uh, from what I saw this year I think there was maybe about four or five in 2020 that are uh, small game places that are selling board games as well and then uh, as you go through the hallway you're going to see a lot of other tables with different things you'll see people that are doing wonderful crafts I mean there's people with amazing 3d printed miniatures of different game accessories uh, people that have their own handcrafted dice bags or their own handcrafted role-playing gear there was one that was a role-playing uh, um, laser cut wood box where you uh, had your spells, you had your health and everything. So some really great artisan stuff that is at the con. And I like this con because for the exhibitor hall because of that. A lot of local artisans, a lot of local uh, places that are actually putting out their their handcrafted items. So it's really neat to see that. Uh, Throughout the rest of the convention hallway, as you start to get to the conference rooms, uh, is uh, the same thing. You're going to see interspersed with a few vendors and craftspeople. You're going to see some people selling RPG stuff, some people selling board game stuff. Uh, Now, I don't know if this is a normal thing this year as well as the first year I went, So which were really the last two years that the con was held, uh, was somebody that had a Doomtown, which 
which was the expandable card game from AEG, set in the Wild West theme, and had a poker mechanic mixed into uh, kind of a deck construction and everything as well. I have a copy of that, have yet to play it, but uh, they have that there. And uh, so there's a lot of that interspersed through that. And so there's uh, three main rooms that foster RPGs. One is dedicated just to D&D and all generations. That is actually the biggest room in the convention. And then there's two smaller ones, one for kind of a catch-all for any RPG and another one dedicated mostly for the Paizo uh, Starfinder and Pathfinder uh, settings. There's another room that's mixed with both of those. And they have a game area, open game area and open game room. And that's actually uh, supplied by Cheyenne Gaming Convention, which is a separate gaming convention that heads that's up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, which is about two hours north of Denver. And uh, they bring their library down and they partner with Genghis Khan and really do a lot to help offer with the board game. So there's open play areas there with a library of games, not necessarily the newest titles, but titles that are often played and often well-loved and everything. So a decent collection in its own right. And of course, a lot of people bring their own copies as well to go ahead and play. And then there's also a couple of rooms designated just for miniatures. So a lot of tables with a lot of terrain, a lot of different miniature games based on historical war game, futuristic war game, uh, Star Wars Legion, etc., etc., you name it, it's there. And then there's a separate room of that for just painting. There's a lot of people dedicated to painting and just having time with fellow miniature gamers and painting their minis and everything. And I thought that was kind of neat. So it's a neat little convention, uh, a little crowded, and I think because they, they weren't really sure what to expect with, with people and everything, and I think we're getting to a point where they're going to have to expand room. I understand there's cost. Uh, they have a great relationship with the hotel there because there's free parking but I think we're starting to max out this space a little bit so I'll give you a little bit of an idea of what I saw that was kind of interesting and noteworthy as I was walking through so the first night there they had a, a gentleman who uh, has a twitch channel for RPG called GUI cube not much of an RPG or at all but they did it with a uh, kind of a game show type setting and where uh, they were up and they were doing, if you've ever seen some of the acquisitions incorporated on, on any of the PAX Unplug sessions that have been around for years and years and years, a staging like that, but he also incorporated kind of game show element. Uh, the gentleman's very engaging, older guy who has just commanding voice, really able to engage the switch between the game show and interacting with the audience as well as... Uh, hosting the the RPG session that was going on as well. It was really fun. It was kind of neat to see. Um, during the entire uh, convention, I noticed some games that are, are well-beloved that get played quite a bit. Um, you know, some of the newer games like Meadow and, um, what was I going to say, um, doing Imperium Rise of X expansion, more on that in a little bit, uh, that are out there. There's also classic games as well. They have a Catan tournament that goes through there. They have it every year. It's not a huge one. I think they have a few iterations, but Catan is still a very well-beloved game, and I know it's fashionable for us to kind of look down on Catan, but we wouldn't be where we are in the modern board game hobby if Catan hadn't entered in when it did and really opened up the, the portal for the this phenomenon to encapsulate the whole world. So I think there's a lot of indebtedness, and I, I enjoy Catan. Is it a game I go to? No, there's a lot of other games that I would rather play, but that doesn't mean that I don't like Catan when I have the opportunity, so that continues to exist as well. There is a gentleman has been there for years. I think his name is Tim, and he actually hosts train games. And he's an older gentleman, wears that engineer conductor style hat, and so he will have 
Ticket to Ride or have different iterations. I haven't really seen any 18xx games, although I think I did see one in his collection that he had. But he, trace, he plays uh, train-specific games with people, and I'll see tons of people, old and new gamers and older new people, that will go ahead and play. Uh, I saw a session of Mega Civilization, which is that sprawling um, European style Civ game that takes, uh, can, I think it takes like 12 players and then take up to like, you know, 12 hours or whatever like that. Uh, that was playing Mirror Nostrum Empires, which is a game that I played the first time I came out here was there as well. There's a lot of neat things. Two that were kind of interesting that one I was hoping to see, I was hoping to partake in, but just couldn't get that scheduled in. And one that I didn't expect to see, which was kind of neat. So if anybody understands what table soccer is, particularly the brand Sabudio, I remember growing up as a child in the 70s, save your comments about how old French he is for later, but when I grew up in the 70s, I remember on, I think it was like public broadcasting uh, growing up in the Northeast, there was soccer from Germany, and my first generation to really soccer at large, I mean, it started to get popular where I grew up in Connecticut, but uh, to see European soccer was kind of interesting, but the sponsor for that that I saw was Sabudio. Sabudio is a tabletop soccer game. We purchase these little miniatures with a rounded base, and it's really a dexterity game uh, at the end of the day in which you have this pitch, the soccer field, with a soccer net and everything, and you're flicking the characters to get to position of the ball and then also flicking them to hit the ball as well. Very popular. There's been numbers of iterations of different teams that have been out you know, throughout the years, Argentina and Germany and Brazil and different teams and everything like that. So this was a... Uh, uh, person or people that actually had a table. So it said 2021 USA Sabudio or Table Soccer Championships. Soccer being football, the American version, but still football as we know internationally. And so, uh, and apparently they had that there in Denver last year. I don't know how or when or whatever with the pandemic, but they had that table, which was looked like a very easy table to deconstruct and put back together and everything very solid with the pitch. And there was always a handful of people watching this. And it was interesting to me because we look at the modern board game hobby and we think of just board games and sometimes we say, okay, RPGs are set over here and miniature games are set over here and so on and so forth. And you know, we forget that there is a genre of that. Now, it's not necessarily a sports simulation game, which was kind of the, the birthing canal of where Frenchie got into the hobby, uh, but... This is, again, a dexterity game and one of the few games around. I think it's one of the few games that can actually lend to doing it this way. Maybe hockey would be another one. So it was neat to see young generations. I saw kids going up there. I saw older adults going up there. And that there was an affinity, an interest in that game. And so it was pretty neat to see that Subudio was uh, there at the con, uh, even though represented in the hallway with everything. But they had a setup and they were attracting some crowds. That, to me, was pretty neat. But the one thing I was hoping to see that I did see, and I just wish I was able to go ahead and schedule it, was a gentleman who had uh, did this in the con that I went to in 2020. And his name, and I'm going to butcher it, so I think it's his name is uh, Veriglio. And he, I can't remember his last name, so um, forgive me for that. But anyway, so uh, he does he does a few games too. And he's the type of person who'll get not just one table, he'll get a group of tables and make a big table together. And he'll have a number of players. And I've seen groups as small as six. This particular game was 16. Uh, but he'll have a game where he actually uh, teaches and a little bit plays, but he mostly teaches or game masters it. And I'm not talking about game master in an RPG sense. But I'm talking about game mastering is he's facilitating. He's got a captivating, booming voice, but he knows how to engage the entire table and keep the game moving. And that's a skill that most people don't have. It's one thing to have it as a game master or a DM for an RPG. 
Totally different to have that when you have numbers of players and you're trying to do it on a board game that's going on. So this game, I don't know what the official name of it is, but it is based on the pod racing from that deplorable, horrible, everything you can say about it, first episode of Star Wars in the prequel, The Phantom Menace. It's that pod racing episode there. And so what he has is he has a map that he's constructed with a pod racing track on it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Uh, he has uh, he has players and he has ships and so he'll give everybody a folder and I've seen him he's upgraded this game since I remember it and I remember pretty vividly from 2020. Um, he's had time apparently since uh, the last two years but he has um, created these folders and so you'll have a player it might be Sebulba or it might be Anakin or it might be some somebody in the Star Wars universe and then you'll have your pod uh, that you're racing with all the different characteristics speed and and probably how tight it turns and how much damage it can take and everything. Everyone has, I believe it's a D10. And so what he does, he sits at the table. Now he had 16 people around this table. And I distinctly remember him having 16 people at the last time he did it in 2020. And everyone has a pot and he's facilitating this pot. And it's it's kind of a roll and move game, but it is much more different than that. And it's a game where everyone's going to take a turn and there's, there's a scenario that happens. And so, okay, what do you want to do? You want to roll? Okay, here you do. Now here's your options. You can go ahead and try to push for overheating to get a few more spaces down the track. Uh, you can try to squeeze in between a couple. You can try to bump. There's different properties in what your ship can do, and you're going to roll. And his game, as he mentioned, his game is all about high risk, high reward. Push it. Have some fun with it. Don't be conservative. Go ahead and see what your pod can do. Because as people decide what to do, he's going to ask them, okay, what does it say on your ship and everything? He's going to read a card. And then that card that he pulls off the top of the deck is going to be kind of a narrative or what happens with that. So if you fail or if you succeed a check or whatever, and that might be, you know, your, your engine overheats or your pod cracks up or you bang into somebody or you, you lose a turn because now you got to do a quick repair. And it's uproarious. So not only between the wild things that happen during the game, but also uh, how he keeps the game moving. It's amazing to me that he can keep a group of 16 people engaged for at least two hours uh, with this style of game. And so I hope to see him up at the Cheyenne Gaming Convention because that's only a couple of hours away from Denver. I'm not sure if he goes there, so I'm going to be looking at that when I come back uh, from the next convention. But it's really interesting to me to uh, to see these games and see that uh, when you get into the board game hobby, that you see other things you normally wouldn't see at a convention the way you typically would see maybe at a board game cafe. So it's great. Conventions seem to be on the rebound and heading forward. I had a great time. So now I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the games that I played or Frenchie played uh, during the convention. Just highlight a couple of them for you. Uh, as I pause to get a drink of sparkling water with some lime in it. Okay, so I'm not going to go over all of the uh, games that I play. I want to highlight three games that I played in particular. Uh, that I just brought the best memory and experience during Genghis Khan. So the first one I played was the only game that of these three that I've already played, and that's Dune Imperium. Uh, and we played. I ended up grabbing a copy, and immediately was uh, was followed by uh, three, uh, two other people, and one who joined shortly afterwards. Uh, one other person had played before, and played a number of times as well as I did, and two others were brand new, but not new to gaming whatsoever, so was able to go ahead and teach them, and we played that, and Dune Imperium, if you don't know, it's a worker placement and draft uh, a deck building game in which uh, you are doing this on the Dune planet, you're just getting different uh, component, uh, different resources and trying to get troops on the map to combat and everything, and 
the person next to me had, uh, he's like, I have terrible AP. And he's like, so if you need to tell me, Matt, just make a move. He's like, I'll do that. But, you know, he wanted to know the best move. He wants to understand the concept of the game. And he kept apologizing. And I said, you know what? My whole goal here is not to necessarily win, which I did. But, um, but, but again, they, they, they grasped the game really quick. I said, it's not really to win. I think I just, hip, uh, just made myself a hypocrite, didn't I? Okay, but I did tell him this. Uh, but I want you to have fun. And I did check throughout the game. Hey, Matt, are you having fun? Hey, Rick, are you having fun too? And they all were like, I love this game. They're both ready to get it. Uh, they both understood it. They both gravitated because this game is actually a very, very easy game to learn. Once you get into a couple of rounds, it's really quick. You can understand what's going on. And it's not a game that where if you make a bad move in the beginning, you're out of the game. There's no king making. You can really go ahead and leverage things. And they did marvelous with that. It was a very tight game right up until the very last uh, card was revealed to endgame. But uh, it's an enjoyable game, and I just like teaching that game. There are some games that are just easy to teach, and it was, uh, for me, a thrill to be able to take a game that I knew, to be able to teach it, also have help from somebody, and teach two new gamers who not only uh, were exposed to the game, but actually loved the game as well, and the four of us had a great time. And so uh, it's neat to have that type of experience. The second game I played was War of the Ring. So that is uh, from Ares Games. War of the Rings been around for a good 10 years. Second edition was published about 10 years ago. First edition was published three or four years before that uh, and is still ranked very high. I think top 200 to BGG. And I believe that uh, the uh, first, uh, the uh, the second edition is probably top 10 or top 12. I remembered it a few hours ago this morning when I was looking over my mental notes, but I didn't write it down. So your guess is as good as mine. And my other laptops a little bit out of arm's reach. So anyway, but it's it's rated very highly. War of the Ring is a uh, game of it's kind of a war game, really kind of a little bit of a miniatures game, but on on a board map. And it's a game just set in the J.R.R. Tolkien uh, War of the Ring setting from the Lord of the Rings, uh, in which one player is the Shadow Forces and the other player is the uh, the Fellowship or the Free Peoples. And so it's really a matter of the Shadow Forces getting. 10 points of strongholds uh, in order to have domination all over Middle-earth, while the free peoples and the fellowship are trying to get four points, which means they have gotten just enough uh, influence on the strongholds for a revolt, or the win condition of getting Sam and Frodo into Mount Doom and through the parts of Mount Doom to go ahead and drop the ring into uh, the mouth of Mordor. And so this was a game, actually it's two to four players, which is really a one-on-one one -on -one game. Um, but myself being the first time that I learned it, and another person were with two other people who've played it before. And so being able to play it and being able to learn and get involved in it, it's a simple game, but there's a lot to it. Uh, there's debate over if one side's better than the other. I think, you know, hearing both sides, the person who played the shadow thought the shadow was more powerful. The person who played the fellowship thought the fellowship was more powerful. Um, and looking at the cards that are being played, looking how the maps balance, how the dice distribution favors the shadow, uh, but the shadow uh, has more to do, has to get more points, and probably has more margin for error uh, of things that can go wrong. I think the thing looks really balanced as well, and so there's been a number of expansions. There's an expansion coming up this year that I noticed on Board Game Geek, um, which I can't remember off the top of my head. But there's still content coming out for this game uh, throughout uh, you know ten years after the second. Uh, edition has been published so it's pretty neat uh to see it was a great game i was glad i i got to play it i can't wait to go ahead and get a copy and go ahead and uh, play this and get some people involved in it 
because to me it's a game that really fits my wheelhouse. And so War of the Ring was uh, the second game that I want to mention, and that'll lead me into the third game, which I think I had the most fun with, um, and it's going to be tough to really try to get this game because it's an out-of-print game, and if you're going to get this game, you are going to pay no small sum of money. Uh, this was the first night I was there, and so uh, we played Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica is... A game from 2008 by Fantasy Flight Games, and it is set in the Battlestar Galactica universe, primarily in the more modern miniseries that came out around that time. And it's one of the original games. I don't know if it was the first. I think you know whether that or Shadow Over Camelot came out, but it's one of the games that has a trader mechanic. So really, what it is is every player has a character that they represent in the Battlestar Galactica universe, and then they're all dealt a card, and the cards will simply say, "You are not a Cylon." Or you are a Cylon. And then if you are a Cylon, there is a special ability of that Cylon. And so the whole game is based on the map where you're on battle, on, you're on Galactica and the other ship. And then we play with the Pegasus expansion. So we had another sideboard there. And you can move around the ship. And each ship has different things. But then you also have different roles. You might be a military leader. You might be a pilot. Which allows you to go ahead and commandeer some of the Viper ships. So you'll be trying to thwart... Uh, the the Cylons and their ships that pop up on the board, and you're trying to go against the Raiders, the Raiders, and uh, and um, I can't remember if they're the Battle Stars or whatever like that, and then also uh, trying to uh, outmaneuver them, take them out, but also protect civilian ships because you have a number of resources that can get depleted from various different game effects, and if any one of those resource styles, food, population, uh, water, or morale, happen to go to zero game is automatically over but the goal of it is not only to avoid that the goal is to try to find out who the Cylons are and halfway through the game as you're also trying to make sure you get the ship to jump because if you can jump uh, in space you can evade the Cylons for a little bit until they start to find out where you are and start to surround you again and so in jumping you have to have so much distance represented on cards to be able to go ahead and if you can hit eight then uh, if you jump and you hit eight and you got to jump one more time, you are you are there. But if you also discover who the Cylons are. And so uh, halfway through the game, you are also going to get a second card. Uh, so you may have two cards to say that you are not a Cylon, or you might have you know, two cards to say you're a Cylon, or one card that says that you are and one card that says you're not. And so based on that, it tells you if you are actually a Cylon. So you may not start off as a Cylon, you may end up being a Cylon. Really fun game. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I will definitely play this, although trying to find somebody who has a copy is going to be problematic. Going on certain places between eBay and Facebook Marketplace, and even just a copy, used copy, of the core game is, you know, anywhere from 150 to $200, let alone if you want to try to get any of the expansions, of which I think there are three. You know, you could be paying six or $700 very easily because it's out of print. Lost in licensing help. But the game is very enjoyable. I highly recommend it. Uh, and while I typically like strategy games overall, uh, this was a fantastic experience. We had six good players that really played the game. Two of us were brand new, um, and most everybody else had played it, but it had been years. So it refreshed a uh, game for them. Uh, and as far as the designer, Corey Konetska, uh, I have mixed emotions about him. He's, he's hit some really solid ones, and he's hit some ones that are a little lukewarm. Uh, I think this is his greatest design, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I love Star Wars Rebellion. I think it captures uh, Star Wars 
in a box very well. But you can definitely see a lot of Twilight Imperium that's been pulled into this. Uh, as far as, uh, to me, a unique design and uh, really just setting the stage, I think this is his greatest accomplishment as a designer and a fantastic game in its own right. So if you're able to grab a copy, I would encourage it. Just... Um, you know, be willing to understand that you were going to pay quite a bit. But uh, that was the third game I played. I had an absolute blast with Battlestar Galactica. And that sums up my experience uh, in a very quick nutshell of Gen Con 2022. All right, Frenchie is going to uh, talk a little bit about uh, really the topic. And I'll just come out with the topic because it's probably easier to go ahead. Uh, so a question I'm going to pose this week is uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak or Dune Imperium? Which one? Uh, and I just mentioned Dune Imperium, but but I want to mention both of these games. So this question has kind of resurfaced a little bit, and I'll explain why in a bit. But back in 2020, uh, two games that ended up becoming the top games of 2020 uh, actually came out of using the same core mechanics. Those two mechanics were deck building, in which you have a starter set of cards, and you acquire more cards throughout the game to have a deck but also trying to work to manage uh, how much that deck is as far as cards that don't clog up your deck so you have more efficient cards in the deck. But then these cards are actually allowing you to place workers, people, whatever they may be called in that game, on the board to allow you to get different movements, different advantages, uh, different resources, and so on and so forth. And so of those two core mechanics, both Dune Imperium and Lost Ruins of Arnax uh, really found their game on that. And so they're set in two vastly different universes. So Lost Ruins of Varnak is set in the more the Indiana Jones, Jewel of the Nile uh, for board gamers, um, Temple Run, Lost Cities, um, Escape uh, type adventure game where you're going through uh, jungles or just uh, remote areas trying to go through temples and sites trying to go ahead and get resources and points and then defeat guardians. At the same time, you might get assistance that can help you in your adventures. You're also acquiring items and artifacts through deck uh, building and acquiring those cards. And then you're also trying to move up a temple track. So you're going to get points for the amount of uh, points that are in your deck, as well as the amount of guardians that you have uh, defeated, as well as what you have scored on the temple track. Because as you move up the temple track, it allows you different resources uh, and different things. But you have to pay some of those resources to move along. So really neat theme, very wildly popular game, very well beloved. Dune Imperium, I had just mentioned before, same two mechanics. Again, deck, play, uh, deck placement and worker building. Uh, deck building and worker placement. Um, wow, it's going to be a long day, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so anyway, um, so it, it takes that and puts that into Dune experience where you are actually taking your cards and playing them to go in different areas of Arrakis, but also going in different areas to maybe go ahead and get uh, you know, a Solaris or a Spice or going ahead and maybe getting the Mentat as an extra work or being able to get on the council or maybe move up the uh, the different guilds and have influence with the Fremen or the Spacing Guild or the Emperor or the Bene Gesserit. Uh, and then really the core of the game is going ahead to Dune and having troops there because there's conflict in each game. That conflict is driven by your troops on the map, and then cards you might get that could add to combat, plus the cards that you don't play in that hand to go ahead and allow you to uh, put in different swords, or maybe different game effects in combat. It's a timed game, 10 conflict cards, so after 10 conflicts, 10 rounds, person with the most points wins the game, unless somebody has hit 10 points in the game before that, and then we'll just finish up the final part of scoring, and then whoever has the most points at that uh, will be declared the winner. Now, when these two games came out, there is debate. 
which one's better because they're both the same thing. And then this debate has risen even more because right here in front of me, I have both expansions. I have Dune Imperium Rise of X, which is in Shrink. I got it this past week. I have not been able to play that, so I don't know what this adds to the game. And I've got Lost Ruins of Arnak Expedition Leaders, which uh, I have played, and it takes uh, gives you leaders such as a Falconer or an Explorer or a Mystic, and it gives you a different player board, uh, and you will be able to have different uh, effects that'll happen. Like I believe it's the Explorer the Captain, you get one extra worker. The Falconer, you can send her Falcon out, and she can get different uh, resources and advantages, and then she can fly back into the Falconer's hand. So it's really great, and I don't think I'll ever play uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak without the Expedition Leader, but I'm going to be cautious here make sure we understand. That is not to say that Lost Ruins of Arnak is a bad game. Lost Ruins of Arnak is a fantastic game, and this is just rounds it out. It's like getting that Hot Fudge Sunday, where this is fantastic. Oh, a little bit of pineapple chunks on it. It's even better. It doesn't take away the fact that the Sunday was already tremendous. You get what I mean? So... It's questions like this that give rise to the debate. And one of the reasons that because both of these expansions have come out in recent weeks, this debate's coming up again. And that debate is, which one's better? Or which do you prefer? Dune Imperium or Lost Ruins of Arnak? And I want to talk a little bit about that too and give you a different way of thinking about this. So let's, let's put it this way. So there is always going to be a preference. Uh, and there's always a question of which one's better. Now, a couple things here for me. I don't really like the argument of... Game X is a Game Y killer. You know, I hear that with Cascadia. Oh, it's such a Carcassonne killer. They're two different games. They are two different motifs. They had the basic mechanic of tile placement, but in Carcassonne, you're doing this as a European village where there's a collective tile placement because everyone's building on the city of Carcassonne. Where in Cascadia, you're building tiles in your own little ecosystem and you're not adding to anybody else's because all, all the other players are building their own. So I struggle with that notion that, well, this does it so much better. And I think that's where that leads to Dune Imperium, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Which one does it better? Which one do you prefer? Is one a killer of the other? And so let's let's talk a little bit about this. So last I checked, Dune Imperium is number 19 on BoardGameGeek. Okay. Highly, highly rated. When you think of, you know, 20 years of BoardGameGeek, 21 years of BoardGameGeek, actually, tens of thousands of games. Dune Imperium is number 19. But you go down to 30 or 31, and Lost Ruins of Arnak, which was released right around the same time, is right there, about 10 or 11 spots behind it. Now, a couple things. Dune Imperium has benefited from this huge buoy of the hype that surrounded the Dune movie, which just came out in the fall of last year. And when you actually go back even two years ago, in 2019, when I first went to Gen Con, I bought the Gale Force 9 revised uh, reprint of Dune, the original game that was from back in the 1970s, okay, which has stood the test of time. Unfortunately, that game is very divisive because depending on who you talk to, I think you got half the people that think the game is, is too long or just not good, and the other half that think it's a tremendous game. Irregardless of that, we're not talking about that game. But when that game was reprinted by Gale Force 9 in 2019. It was the start of, okay, you know, we know that this movie's coming out, uh, this new Dune movie, and so we're, we're getting ahead of that curve a little bit. Now, that movie got delayed with the pandemic, obviously. Then, as we got into 2021, we started seeing, okay, the movie's ready for a fall release, and then we saw two new Dune games that were released, Dune House Secrets and Dune Betrayal. Then the movie came out. 
Okay, now the year be so in between 20 and 19, and the movie Dune Imperium came out in 2020. And then now we have uh, just a you know a few weeks after the movie, we have the rise of its expansion. So I say that to say that Dune Imperium has benefited from the hype of the movie and it's given lift, it's it's risen the tide of Doom. Now, again, fantastic game. And I'm not saying that uh, the game uh, it would not be where it is without uh, all the hype and everything like that. It may very well still be very highly ranked. Maybe, maybe not, but I don't think it'll it'll it would tumble down. If you strip the Dune Imperium license off that, would this game play very well? It probably will. That may be debatable, okay? But let's look at the flip side. With all the hype and everything that has buoyed Dune Imperium, What's 11 spots behind it? Number 30, number 31 on Board Game Geek, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Now, if that doesn't say something for Lost Ruins of Arnak, without the hype, without think about all the marketing dollars in Dune and how Dune Imperium has been the beneficiary of all of that. Whether it was from, uh, who is it, Legendary and Direwolf, that, that I have to look at the box to cheat, okay? I have a good memory, ladies and gentlemen, but it's short. So, with, uh, with all the marketing dollars directly and indirectly feeding into Dune and how Dune Imperium has, has benefited from that, Lost Ruins of Arnak, not very far behind, to be honest with you. And that shows how well that game is. And so you could look at either of those arguments and say, well, Dune Imperium is just a superior game. Look at how many people play that. Uh, and I don't even know the numbers of people that have rated it on BoardGameGeek. Or look at Lost Ruins of Arnak because... Without all of that hype, there's the game and everything. Now, I will say that I do think that Lost Ruins of Arnak has more spaces to climb on BGG than Dune Imperium. I think Dune Imperium uh, will still have a little bit of lift and will still go. Uh, and I think Lost Ruins of Arnak actually will climb a little bit more because as benefit, and it's actually probably good that both of these expansions came out in a relatively uh, short concurrent period of time. So one didn't stick out before the other, just like the games came out very similarly in 2022. So there's not really an advantage. You're kind of seeing, okay, here, here's two games, both highly rated. Here are two expansions, both highly rated. Both the expansions do not denigrate from the fact that both are superior games. Now, again, I've only played with the ex Expedition Leaders from Lost Ruins of Arnak. I haven't played with the Dune Rise of Expansion. So I'm just going to talk about just the base game. Okay, so when you think about how the base game has really resonated and been scored very highly, uh, both of them are really great in its own right. So the question comes down to, which one's better? Which one? Lost Ruins of Arnak or Dune Imperium? This is where I want to challenge, because I think one of the fallacies that we have in the board game community, as well as in life is, as well, is why do we have to have either or statements? Why do we have to have either or statements? You know, why can't somebody enjoy both games in its own right? It to me, a question like that almost tends to be vain, tends to be nonsensical. Now, if you were going to rank these games, if I was going to rate my top two games of all time, and let's see, these were these were both of them. I mean, obviously, I've got to put one, 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 two. Okay, I could cheat. I could say, oh, they're both the same. I could very well do that, okay? Um, but it would be saying, well, which do you like better on your pizza, pepperoni or sausage? To me, it's a nonsensical argument because, let's put it this way, if you were a parent, and parents get these questions all the time too, a parent that gets a question of, okay, you have your house is on fire and you can only go in and save one of your two children, which one would you save? What parent in their right mind would say that they're going to rescue the older or the younger? They're going to try to get both, Okay, so to me, that is a nonsensical argument. Now, I'm not saying that board games are as valuable as children, not at all. Unless you don't have children, the board games are what you got. Okay, or if you have a grown child like me, all I got is board games. He's on his own, so I'm enjoying 
Okay, anyway, so without digressing, but think about that. That's a nonsensical argument. Why do you even pose that? And I think questions like that pose that. I think people want some validation, to be quite honest with you, and to be fair uh, for the questioner. Well, if I get one or the other, which one should I get? Uh, well, first of all, unless you only have one spot on the shelf for a game, probably not an argument or very limited funds. But I think a lot of people, uh, not only just opinion, but I think we get stuck into that either or, well, which one do you like? And to me, why not both? Why not both? Okay. Now, I will tell you that I've played Dune Imperium more than Lost Ruins of Arnak. But I will tell you that I have walked away with equally enjoyable experiences. I know I just finished a good experience with Dune Imperium at Genghis Khan. But Lost Ruins of Arnak, I walk away and I go, this is such a fun game. Lost Ruins of Arnak is a more accessible um, genre in, in this game rather than Dune Imperium. Think about it. When you have a genre that's more in exploring and going through a jungle or going through a Mayan temple or whatever, uh, and you have that, I think that's more accessible to the board game community and, and the audience at large than, uh, than, uh, than Dune. Because while science fiction... And, you know, when you look at genres in board games, you have heavy fantasy, heavy science fiction. I'm not talking heavy, deep, grim or whatever like that. Just a lot of fantasy, a lot of science fiction. Those two genres dominate. Uh, and you have Euro games. Now you're starting to see a lot of the onset of what I call accessible games, such as Cascadia or Parks or Meadow where I would attribute that to Wingspan, where those have really opened up to have, hey, games don't have to be about science fiction or military games or, or fantasy or whatever. They can be games on a nice nature theme, a nice accessible theme. Now, while this is not a nature theme, it's an accessible theme, Lost Ruins of Arnak. And so I think the audience for that is much, much wider. I think that the audience for Dune is much narrower because those that like science fiction are a large portion of the board game community, but a portion of the board game community, and those that like Dune Imperium are a portion of that, okay? So I think there's a bigger audience for Lost Ruins of Warnock. But the point I'm going to make here is, why do we have to say either or when there's both? Because guess what? Sometimes I'm not in the mood for science fiction. Sometimes I'm totally in the mood to play an adventure game or play a game where, you know what? I know that the meta of everybody in my game group probably isn't going to like Dune Imperium just from getting to know them. So guess what I'm bringing this week? Lost Ruins of Arnak, and we're going to have a great time. And I think we need to have, in all of our questions in life, as but also just kind of putting in context here to board game community, why do we always have to say either or? Why can't we say and? Why can't there be room on both? Uh, on your shelf for both of these. Uh, why do you have to choose one or the other? Now, I'm going to have hypocritical comments when I do a top 100 at some point and I have to rank one over the other. That's just the way it is. I understand that. But I'm just trying to challenge us. Why do we always have to go ahead with A versus B? Why can't we have both? Why can't they both coexist on our shelf? Because I'm sure that we all have games that you know we say, well, you know what? There's two games that do similar things, but I like them both equally because based on who I play with or what I'm in the mood for. You know, again, pepperoni or sausage, you know, do you like mushrooms or do you like some other plant protein? Okay. I mean, it's all comes down to preference at the end of the day, but why do you have to do an either or? Why can't you enjoy both pepperoni and sausage on my pizza? Fantastic. Hey, guess what? I'll throw mushrooms and another plant protein on there. Fantastic. You get the point. So that's my thinking on Dune Imperium, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Uh, which one? I'm going to say both because I think they're both fantastic games. I think Lost Ruins is going to continue to climb and close the gap and will remain to be seen because I'm sure there'll be some more expansions, but they're both fantastic games. And I just want to help us understand a little bit of why we ask questions and everything as well. And let's think more of and and less of being divisive with either or. 
All right, for this top 10 list this week from Frenchie, uh, I am going to talk to us about a topic that, uh, while it's been a very difficult couple of years, it's nice to see that things are moving forward. And, you know, I don't want to minimize what we've all gone through. There's been a lot of tragedy, both in health with the pandemic, uh, people that have lost their lives, people that have lingering health effects, both uh, minor and major, uh, people that have been displaced from jobs, just everything that's happened from that. I don't want to minimize that at all. But I always try to look being an optimist because it's easy to find negative stuff, but there's always uh, more fun to find positive stuff. And I think there's some fun things we can look at, particularly in our hobby, that happened from the pandemic. Because what happened during the pandemic is people were home. And guess what? They played board games. And in Tabletop Simulator was a great medium for that. And, and all these different channels that people started watching. And the board game industry grew during this time. Uh, and probably would have grown more if uh, most of our games still weren't in shipping containers uh, in certain docks or in the oceans across the world. But we all know that. And so we're going to get past that. So I want us to talk today about the top 10 list of things that I think are things that we learned about the pandemic. What did the pandemic teach us about board games? And there are some interesting things to consider. So Frenchie's list for this week is the top 10 things that the pandemic has taught us about board games. So here we go. Number 10. No matter how hard you try, you can't adapt a solo mode to a social deduction game. Number nine, it's reduced our interaction with alpha gamers. Number eight, solo gaming isn't just for isolated people. Oh, wait. Number seven, meeples don't troll you. Number six, I could have bought a house with all the increased shipping costs that I've had to pay. All right, number five on the top 10 things that the pandemic has taught us about board games. Number five, we've finally been able to reduce our shelf of unplayed games to a single shelf of shame. Number four, on second thought, seven new Kickstarters just arrived at my doorstep. Number three, there were a lot of pros, but very few cons. Groaner. Number two, Wow, there's lots of board game content creators, but who the heck is this Frenchie guy? And the number one thing that the pandemic has taught us about board games, that no matter what happens in life, we've still got games. Hey, friends and gamers, thank you so much for watching and appreciate you all. And again, do the things that I normally do, like subscribe, comment, blah, 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 share with your friends and everything like that. Support this channel. Tell me what your uh, thoughts are and everything about anything that I've talked about. I look forward to talking to you about the Dice Tower Convention when I get back and also uh, getting in and getting some more review content out. And I've got some new things that I'm going to try to test out over time. And if you're watching, you can see uh, games are piling up coming in so really excited for what's going to happen but until next time don't forget to play nice and take care